Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast, the Monday edition. Leah Hextall stops by, gives her thoughts on how the Jets were able to get one back on the Blues and what the heck happened in Finland in the World Women's Hockey Final. Hear from Valor FC head coach Rob Gale. They just went to the Dominican Republic. Did they get some sun? What did they learn? And my buddy Clarence, he plays dodgeball at a very high level, just went to the national championship. Hear how that went on the podcast. Let's start with the Winnipeg Jets, who were able to get a 6-3 win last night in St. Louis, able to get to Jordan Biddington, which is something you said was maybe at the top of the list of things they needed to do to win this series. And they did it six times. And that's what I think is impressive because I don't know about you, but in that first period, I believe he made 13 saves and so many of them were high quality scoring chances very early on. And I thought, wow, is this kid going to come in and do this again to the Jets? So I will say this. I fully expect Jordan Bingington to come back in. He seems like a very even keel, mentally strong individual. And from everything I've read about him and everything that you hear about him, he is very solid when it comes to that aspect. I don't think six goals is going to shake him. He's going to park it and move on. But I think what this did more importantly is it gave the Jets confidence that they can score goals. And it wasn't just one player scoring. They were scoring up and down their lineup. They were scoring on the power play. They were doing it all. And I think, as Nikolai Ehlers said in his clip earlier in the show that you played, is that they've been getting better every single game. We don't want to lose sight that the first two games could have gone either way. They were one-goal games. That seems to be getting lost, but that was the most complete game the Jets have played. They've been good in every single game they've played, and I think this this could be a really big turning point in this series, that win last night. Watching that game, I got the feeling more than any other game in this series that Dustin Bufflin was back to being the playoff buff that was so strong last season and for many seasons in Chicago, too. Absolutely, and you can almost, I don't, I can almost see it in his face. You know, it was after he scored that goal, just the way his face went. You can see that look in his eyes. And he's such a presence out there that we have spoke about this many times, is that he absolutely changes the lineup on a, you know, game-in, game-out basis in the regular season. But to your point in the playoffs, he can be a one-man force that can literally change the entire game because it's that one hit, that one momentum shift, that one goal, that one dangle from end to end, and suddenly he drives the bus and all the players behind him are like, if Buff goes, we're all going. And that third line, the reuniting of Brandon Tanev, Adam Lowry, Andrew Kopp, the TLC line, that line is just made for the playoffs. It is because that's, as we talk about, you win Stanley Cups on your third and fourth lines, and especially a third line that can contain, and as the head coach said, Paul Maurice, is very good defensively, and it settles their game. And then you add on the fact that Tanev, and what a legend he's turning into Mm. in the playoffs. I mean, his coming out party was last year with the goals he scored, and then he misses a couple games, comes back, and boom, he's putting one in the net. So the fact that you can get that defensive play and the offensive play, that just epitomizes playing on both sides of the puck. And it takes the pressure off of that top line that's going head-to-head against O'Reilly. And, you know, it was so great to see, but I'll also say not just that third line, but what Kevin Hayes did in that new role. I mean, look what happened there. So last night was exactly what you need in the playoffs. You had your bottom six 
complementing your top six. And if they can continue that up and down the lineup, perhaps we've found some line combinations. And I know you're not sold on that second line, with line A, Ehlers, and Little. But, I mean, if the other three lines are getting it done and line A can chip in on the power play, this isn't a bad-looking team. On the other side, we have a Blues team that will probably look at that tape and say that wasn't who we should be. That was not the best we could play by any means. Six goals, a lot to give up, and they're no doubt going to be a better team tomorrow night. I I would reckon that we're going to see a very tight game where three goals might win it, though. We've seen a lot of times with the Jets on the road in the playoffs. I, I look at that Nashville series and... Really, there was no ceiling on what they could do offensively. I think we're going to see a pretty tight game for game four. That is usually what happens after there's a bit of what we would call a blowout, right? Like six goals is not what you expect to see in a playoff game, especially between these two teams. So you think that there's going to be more of locking it down. But at the same time, I want to give credit to the Jets because when you watch that game, well, the Blues, they, it's not like they didn't play an okay game. It's just the Jets were faster. They were on every single puck. And what they didn't allow was the Blues to get behind them and inside and get to that down low game and start working their cycle, which they're so strong on. They weren't allowed to do that. So for me, even if the Jets are, pardon me, the St. Louis Blues come back and play the way that they can, perhaps the Jets aren't going to let them. And if they can continue that, then they're, they found a formula to success. It's not an easy thing to do against the St. Louis team. But I would agree with you. Usually any time in the playoffs you see a team, because like, let's face it, nine goals in a game, we didn't expect that. You're probably going to see a more defensive effort. But it's going to be interesting to see if this tightens the Blues up at all. And what I mean by that is mentally. Because right now they've been cruising. And we saw at home, I think, the Jets get a little tight, especially in that second game. They came out and there was pressure on them to win it. Well, there's pressure on the Blues now to win this game at home. Because if they don't, that home ice advantage that they stole, it's going right back to the Jets. And the next two or three are in Winnipeg and it becomes a three-game series. Before I let you go, Leah, Finland-USA yesterday in the Women's World Hockey Championship. Gold medal game. Finland looks like they've won. Uh, It's overturned. USA wins in a shootout. Was Finland hosed here? I think so. I'm, I'm so disappointed. And the first thing I'm disappointed about is that this should have never happened because last year the IHF made it a rule in the men's game that there would no longer be a championship game decided in a shootout. They would play three-on-three overtime until there was a winner. Why did that not immediately translate to the women's game? It makes absolutely no sense to do it for the men's game, but to say to the women, no, you know, we're going to let you guys go to a shootout to decide what is one of the most important championships and a much more important championship to the women's game because the fact that it doesn't have the status that the men's game does and as many opportunities like the NHL. But more than that, as much as I feel bad for Canada losing to Finland, this was a moment. This was a moment for a nation. It was a moment for the women's game to say, you know what? This game is international. It's not just the States and Canada anymore. And all the IHF did by having that call and the, ugh, the roughing, and I'm sorry, that was a goal. Mm-hmm. And in my eyes, it was a goal. It was a clear goal, and that's how you win in overtime. And for them to take that away, uh, it just did so much more damage than just a gold medal game. And I hope they get that straightened out because enough is enough. Uh, that I'm heartbroken for them. But at the same time, I hope it's a learning lesson and they get it figured out. 
two and a half million people in Finland watch that Amazing, gold medal game. Right? That's almost no, half their no population. One cares about women's, yeah, no one cares about women's hockey. Yeah, right. Uh, let, tell me that again, because people <laughs> do care about women's hockey. So it was fantastic to see that number as well. Valor FC continues to gear up for its season opening game. The start of May, they're getting ever so close. And joining me on the CGB Sports Show is Rob Gale, the head coach and general manager of Valor FC. And uh, Rob, as you draw closer, you're just over two weeks away. How excited are you getting and the and the, the lads getting, as you call them? Yeah, lads are doing well. Um, we uh, enjoyed the eight days down in the Dominican Republic and we're delighted to come back to snow on the field this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. But, uh, the yeah, I mean, what was great, it was a great chance to, to get around uh, sort of eyeball the other teams from the uh, the lobby and the, the restaurants and the, the different places there uh, and take stock of where we're at and uh, build on a couple of objectives we had down there. But uh, with each passing day, it's getting closer and that makes it more and more exciting for the lads. I know you said before the trip that you were not really measuring this trip based on how you did in the games you'd be playing. So did you like what you saw out of the, the trip? Yeah, we had two main objectives, really, uh, team building and, and being able to see each other in an environment where we're we're away from distractions in a bubble. Uh, how do we deal with, you know, uh, heat acclimatization, travel, uh, different foods, uh, time changes, different fields, not knowing the opposition, all of that. So that was one of our main objectives uh, to, to kind of get the team together and, and, and build some identity pieces around that and see them. And then secondly, get, uh, get fitter and stronger and uh, being able to do that in, in hot weather, obviously uh, is a, is a physical test for the lads, but they, they did both things well. And we feel both of those objectives, we came back uh, a little closer as a team and also healthier as a team. So that, that was good. How different is the training between, you know, be either being indoors in Canada or just above zero in Canada to, I imagine, in the 20s in Dominican Republic? Yeah, I mean, close to 30s as well as how it felt uh, while we were down there. Very, very hot. Uh, and interesting for players like a Stephen Hoyle, uh, a Joseph Golubo, probably never played in those conditions before and, and just see how they fare. How do you manage minutes of a game? Those kind of things. Uh, and for the lads who may be being in CONCACAF before, uh, it's just a good test because the, the body reacts differently in the heat and you have to look after yourself. You have to hydrate properly. You have to take care of your body and your mind and your skin uh, and still be able to perform. So lots of valuable lessons. In terms of the food in the Dominican, did what was that situation? Too good. <laughs> yeah, it was only, there was a Brazilian barbecue at one of the poolside restaurants it was amazing uh, I think the lads enjoyed the food a little too much but luckily they were burning off the calories in the heat if you've ever been away with a, a young sports team these guys can trough down their food and uh, build up the calorie count so we'll be doing a couple two a days this week just to make sure we're ramping it up and on track because there's only so much you can do physically in that heat but uh, I've got to say the hospitality the the resort the people of the Dominican Republic the food were amazing awesome so you have just over two weeks until your uh, regular season begins in the west coast and then you got the home opener on May 4th 
What do the next couple weeks look like for your team? A real, real time to ramp up really everything that we've been doing. Now they've had a little of uh, experience, should we say, a proper, a proper experience of some CPL opposition, a proper experience of uh, uh, a higher level competition. I think it just heightens everything for the players, and and they they know a bit more. They know how they are in their fitness. We played in that one full 90 minutes down there, you know, uh, where we kept a few more players out. We only put sort of three subs on during one game. Uh, the rest of the time we were rotating the squad. So it's a case of ramping up that fitness now, really getting battle ready, um, fitness ready, and, and mentally preparing for what's going to come because those first 15 days of the season are going to be thick and fast and, and very, very competitive. Before I let you go, just a few days ago, you, your team signed Adam Mitter. It, is it normal to br- sign somebody, you know, three weeks before the season begins, or is it just the unique circumstance of the being the inaugural season? Uh, yeah, no, it's typical in soccer, you know, and you have a summer transfer window too, so you could pl- sign a player halfway through a season if you think he's going to improve the squad. Or you can sign them right up till sort of deadline day, which sometimes comes during. I think for the rally gets made a seventh, so we may still make additional signings. And you, as a coach, you're always on the lookout for improvements or upgrades or, or depth that you can you can build. So it's it's definitely not untypical. But Adam has great experience. He he was very keen to come and be a part of our project. He's very hungry. He's played at the highest levels in England and Scotland, and uh, he's been more recently in Asia. So he's got a good amount of experience, and it was a position we've been looking to fill for a while and get some extra depth in our defensive line. So we're very pleased to to get him in, and he should be here by the weekend. So we'll uh, we'll be putting him straight to the test. All right, Rob, well, I appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck as you get closer to kickoff. Thanks, Christian. Looking forward to it, mate. I haven't played dodgeball since gym class in high school. Yeah, that's right. I can remember throwing up my arm, trying to peg people I didn't like. But while it's been a while for me, dodgeball continues to grow very much as a sport. The national championships were not this past weekend, the one before in Charlottetown. One of the guys on Manitoba's top team happens to coach at my gym. His name is Clarence Alfaro. And on Saturday, I sat down with him to talk about his experience at nationals and just how they work. Uh, It starts off with a provincial tournament which determines the teams going out to nationals. So depending on your area, so Manitoba would send three men's teams and two women's teams. So depending on how many teams try out, determines how many teams are allowed to go out there. And how did your team make it there? So uh, our provincial teams called the Monstars and we won the tournament. So when we won the tournament, we were allowed to actually take the guys on our team as a roster going out there. Also, by selecting a couple other guys that tried out for that tournament, the other two teams were selected by a selection committee by Dodgeball Manitoba. And that's what's maybe unique about this process is it's not just like you have to be a team and that team goes on. There's a lot of like selection processes, right? That's correct. So uh, determining on experience and play skill and position-wise, that's how they come up with the teams. Um, they usually, we call them the B and C teams. The C team is more of a, not a trial and error team, but more of a 
just get them experience so that down the road they have a little more experience playing so they have a better chance of going out there next year or down the road. Okay. Now, where does Manitoba sit in terms of the national picture? Are we near the top, in the middle? So this year, nationals, I believe we made a lot of ground coming or after this tournament. So we surprised a lot of Ontario teams. So Ontario is probably, I would say, the most dominant. Which isn't surprising. Yeah, dominant dodgeball um, teams in the country. So this year, the Red River Rebellion, the team I play on, and the Golden Boys, which is the B team for Manitoba, both uh, lost to the team called Fury, which is from Ottawa, and they won the Ontario Provincials, and we both lost in overtime to them. So just showing that our, we're catching up to them quickly because there was a huge gap three years till now. So I would say next year we're going to make some, some waves in the commun dodgeball community going out there. So The people that play dodgeball at this level, are they generally people that were high-end athletes in other sports that came to dodgeball? Um, I would say half. The other half was just people that wanted to pick up a physical activity that was fun and then thought maybe there's something more and found that it was more of a, I would say, an elite sport where people could actually go somewhere with it and travel and actually meet new people and stuff like that. So I think the sport's slowly growing bigger. So I would say it's kind of like ultimate how it was 10 years ago. So it's catching ground. Is there a world championship? Yes, there is. I believe it's in Mexico at the end of October, November, around there. So uh, after we just had our PEI Nationals this year, after this, it's the Dodgeball Canada's selection committee determining uh, athletes from each province who's going to make a roster, I believe, of 18 people. And I believe 10 to 12 of them are going to travel and compete out there in Mexico. So the team that won Nationals gets to go, but that's not the only team that gets to go. Uh, no, actually. So the, it's just a pure selection community. Okay, so winning nationals just gets you pride that it doesn't guarantee you yeah. that you're going in. Exactly. Okay. okay, so that's a little, that's unique then. Yeah, so they're trying to, the head coach, uh, Vic Gravilli, um, has a say in it. He's one of the board members that gets to help choose the team. He um, goes by his philosophy and wants to see what he wants in athletes, so... Uh, I believe that this year, I think the roster might have a little shakeup going into it. Into it. Is it possible that someone might try to show themselves more, knowing that if, it doesn't matter if their team wins, as long as they show, they might get a chance to go to the to the worlds. I would say yes. Um, I know that some teams are out there just to highlight themselves going out there, and then other teams are there to win that national tournament. For those who haven't played dodgeball or seen it since gym class or since the movie Dodgeball, how is the sports different than maybe what we would have played in gym class? It's a little more intense. Uh, there's a lot of strategy involved, more than you think. Um, if you've done any kind of exercises, I would say it's a lot of plyometrics, jumping, going up and down, moving laterally down the court. Um, I'd say it's very intense compared to what you would see in gym class. Um, a lot of people wear a lot of equipment, so generally the equipment you would have is either for sure knee, or knee pads, arm sleeve if your arm's a little sore, or you have a little tendonitis in there. Um, a lot of people get uh, physiotherapists going out to tournaments now just to keep them healthy for a three-day tournament because that's a lot of torque on your shoulder when you're going out to play. And there's a, 
I guess, a, a tendency for us to think, oh, we played in a giant gym. It's a pretty tight space, right? Yeah, so I believe it's a 60 by 30 court. Um, and it's, you're supposed to stay in it. If you step out, you're out. So it's very close. So guys with arms that can throw over 120 kilometers and that ball's coming at you, it's a seven-inch foam ball. It, it does hurt sometimes. And you can get a lot of action on that ball, right? Oh, absolutely. You'll, you can see some guys throw a lot of junk, some sinkers, change-ups, everything you can see with that dodgeball now. Is that something you can practice? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know a lot of Manitobans are trying to learn the slider now, uh, which picked up from a couple of guys on my team. Uh, if you watch any Ontario teams, they have just an arsenal of weapons coming in there. Um, a team in BC called Hard as Foam actually is just a group of baseball guys. So big, big lanky dudes with just massive arms that can just put that ball and move it any direction they want. And so these games, 40-minute games, and you just you have six on six, and you can just keep playing until the time's up. So round robin was a 20-minute game, switch at half or 10 minutes, and then switch. And then playoffs went into 40-minute games, so 20-minute halves and then switching sides. Okay. So now that you're back home, overall, how would you characterize your experience? I had a good time. Um, not happy with our results, obviously. Uh, we lost to Fury, who finished second in this tournament. Uh, in overtime, we came back from a four-game deficit just to lose in overtime, so that was a little heartbreaker. Um, it's making me want to come back for more, I would say. And how's PEI in the spring? Uh, unfortunately, we were there when everything was closed still. So a couple of us tried to go sightseeing and stop at a couple of restaurants, and everything was closed, so nothing's in season right now. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts yet.